But the angel said to them, the shepherds, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to recognize that in Scripture, Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior, is also called the Prince of Peace. And Lord, that suggests, that calls for his rule in our lives. And we just want to say, as, as we look through this word today, and we, we really explore what it means We invite you, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to reign in our lives, to bring healing where it's needed, to to, to bring uh, just a a new ability to see and to hear, to be aware of the kingdom of God, what you're doing and what you're up to, and Lord, to impact us where we need it most in regards to peace, which is in every relationship. We thank you. We love you. We welcome what you're going to say to us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so there has been a little theme that's been, it keeps popping up in all of our recent sermons. Um, this, this happened, it took me a while to catch it, but all the way through the attributes of God, you remember there were like 10, 12 weeks of different um, attributes of God's character and God's competency. This theme kept popping up, and then um, as we have started to get into Advent, the first couple of weeks, uh, the pre-Advent sermon, and then last week's first Advent, it happened again. And it reminds me of a scene from The Princess Bride. Have you ever seen that movie? Um, there's this character in the movie. His name is uh, Vizzini. And Vizzini keeps, he keeps using this word all throughout the movie. You know what the word is? Yes, somebody just said it. Okay, he keeps using this word over and over and over again in all kinds of very different situations. The word is inconceivable or inconceivable. And so finally, he says it so much that another character named Inigo Montoya, as in Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepared to die. Finally, he says to Vizzini, he goes, you keep using that word, but I do not think that word means what you think it means. Now, in the same way, We've been noticing, and Morgan and I have pointed out, that there are a lot of words in the Bible like that. Um, There are words that are prominent in Scripture that have gigantic meaning, but we we use them, and we use them so often and in so many different situations that the word really, we're, we're not even sure what it means anymore. And that is true of today's Advent word, peace. Um, think about it for a minute, okay? If, so if you, if you were alive and old enough in the 70s, you know that the word peace got used in the 70s, right? Peace. What did peace mean? It meant love, not war, right? That's not the worst thing in the world. Um, if you're a parent who has young children or you had young children, the word peace comes up quite often in your uh, dialogue as parents. Typically, it's something like, finally, the kids are in bed and we have a moment's peace. Okay, a little different. Amen. And, and you know what, brother? No one's fighting that. That's not, not wrong. Um, if, if we say that someone, say we point somebody out in the congregation today and we say, hey, that's a peaceful person. 
we mean that they're typically calm, cool, and collected, especially at times when other people aren't. Um, today, if you say, peace out, what are you saying to somebody? Goodbye, all right? So you see what happens here. I mean, this is, it's a lot of different, um, you know, meanings for this one word. And it may astound you to learn today that when the Bible uses the word peace, it rarely, if ever, means any of those things. And so what we want to do is we want to start out with a real, clear, biblical definition of peace so that we know what we're talking about. We know what, what Jesus Christ is bringing into our lives um, so, here we go, a clear biblical definition. Um, the Old Testament word for peace, and I bet some of you know this, is shalom, right? Shalom occurs a whopping 239 times in the Old Testament. That's a lot. Um, the word for peace in the New Testament is erine, or erine, and it shows up in the New Testament almost 100 times, 93 to be exact, and when you consider the size of the New Testament compared to the Old Testament, you could argue that it's used more in the New Testament than even the Old Testament. Now, despite the fact that those are two different words, they actually mean the same thing all throughout the Bible. A couple of times they are used as a greeting. Um, a couple of times they refer to the absence of war. But most of the time, the vast majority of the time, when you see the word peace in the Bible, it means something much bigger, much better, and much, much richer. Okay, so you ready for it? Most often in Scripture, peace means completeness. It means wholeness. When, when it comes to people, it means total well-being. Doesn't that sound nice? Total well-being. That's what it refers to. Um, if you want an illustration, think of a stone wall. Okay, I didn't come up with this. Somebody else did. Think of a stone wall or, or a, a brick wall without any gaps, any cracks, none of the mortars falling out. That's a great physical picture of shalom. Now, when it comes to us, think about relationships, all right? That's what peace is getting at. That's what peace is designed to impact for you and I. It's actually our relationships. And we have three key relationships in this life, okay? The first is with God, okay? The, the second key relationship or relationships in our lives are with other people. Look around. Everybody who's not you is an other, right? Anyone you see out there in the world, so that's everyone else. Can, can you guess what the last one might be with? Ourselves, okay? So those are the big key relationships. And so biblically speaking, when you have peace, it means those relationships are sound. There's well-being in those relationships. And when our key relationships are fractured or broken, guess what? We don't have peace. No shalom, no irene. And the Bible calls us to restoration in those relationships. I didn't hear anybody cheer when we said restoration in those relationships. And here's why. Because that's a struggle for us. If we're honest, this whole idea of restoration, now, do we want our relationships to be sound? Yes. But when you think about what it takes, the steps to get relationships restored, that's when we go, oh gosh, uh, I don't know about that. You know, let's look the other way, folks. You know, nothing to see here. Because, I mean, what does it take to be restored in relationships with other people? 
I mean, you have to approach them. You know, you can't go in hot and, you know, ready to kind of, you know, make your point and power up. That doesn't work. So you have to go in humbly. There have to be discussions and understanding and listening. And, you know, at some point you got to speak the truth in love. And at some point you got to hear the truth in love. And so this whole idea of restoration, it, it's, it, it, it does kind of make us go, oh, you know, it's daunting. And that also makes somebody like the Apostle Paul a real pain in the neck for you and I, okay? It makes Paul a real annoyance because in the New Testament, do you know who's driving the peace bus? Do you know who's talking to us about peace more than anybody else? It's the Apostle Paul. And that would be fine if Paul had written one book, right? You know, we just avoid that one. You know how many books? Do you know how many books of the New Testament Paul wrote? 13, okay? So here's a guy who's hitting us with peace, peace, peace. Be whole, be sound in every relationship. He's hitting us at every turn with it. In fact, this, this may be a new one for you. In these 13 books, do you know how many of these books Paul uh, opens in his introduction with peace, the word peace? All of them. Paul opens every single book with the issue of peace. In fact, he has this little phrase he loves, and I think he uses it, I think it's 10 out of 13 times. His phrase is, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is Paul's opening. And these aren't just catchwords. You know, it's not just like, well, he's stuck on this phrase. He's, he, he digs into these after he says them over and over and over again. Peace, grace, and peace. And by the way, when it comes to grace and peace, these happen to be two words that describe the entirety of Christianity. If you ever wanted to capture Christianity in just two words, they would be grace and peace. And there may be some others, but those two, two capture it. And so Paul, Paul's bringing this up, right? He's hitting us with this time and time again. But then we come to one book of the Bible where Paul explains exactly what grace and peace are. He unpacks it beautifully in one, one place. So grace, peace, and he talks about one other thing in Ephesians chapter 2. So here we go. Paul begins with the one other thing um, in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. So he talks about the other thing first. And fair warning, this other thing is a bit uncomfortable, okay? Um, this other thing is something that we would rather not talk about. Um, in fact, we don't talk about it a whole lot. We probably don't talk about it enough these days. And yes, it is sin. But, but it's not just sin it's our sin, all right? So Paul opens up chapter 2 with a discussion about our sin. Listen to this. <clears throat> he says, as for you, and that doesn't mean, you know, Mateo in the back road. This means all of us, okay? So this is a, this is a everybody you. He says, as for you all, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, meaning like everyone, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Oh, 
Y'all feel happy now? Yeah. See, but what Paul is saying is he's saying, look, because of sin, which, which is a very big deal, because of sin, um, we lost peace. Peace is missing where we need peace the most, and that is with the primary relationship in our lives with God. Because of sin, the, that, that relationship is fractured. So the key relationship in life is broken. And what Paul is saying, you know, and, and just so we don't miss it is, hey, look, that relationship is broken, and guess who did the breaking? You did it. We did it. We're the ones who broke that relationship. Um, we did it by walking out on God, following the cravings of our flesh and, um, you know, our, our desires, and, and that we, we did it. So Paul is saying, look, that was your choice. Be clear about that. And the result, unfortunately, of all this sin is death. It is spiritual death. Now, I think if we took a survey around the room and we said, let's talk about death, we would all agree that death is the end, right? I mean, when you die, it is over. So spiritually speaking, we are in that place. Wow, that's bleak, right? I mean, do you hear my voice change? That's how bleak it is, right? So, so this, is, this is tough stuff. But then we get to verses 4 through 6, and when Paul writes this, But then God made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. So folks, I mean, don't, don't, let's don't miss the action. There we were spiritually dead, right? It's over, kaput, fini spiritually, right? And then God raised us up in, with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. It's, it's amazing. But the point is, okay, the first thing, we're clear on that, that sin. Well, here's the second thing. This is that second thing. It's grace. It is grace. Then grace enters our spiritual graveyard. And, and, and grace is the fact that God is so rich in mercy and love that he brought us back to life. He raised us up and he seated us in heaven. That is grace. And I know sometimes people in the church will say, hey, we need to preach about sin more. And that's probably true. We need to preach about grace more too. That, wow, just God did this. And Paul uses this little phrase here, or this word, he, he says that is God's gift to us. And that is really important. Gift of God, that phrase is so important in, in verses 8 and 9 because what Paul is telling us is, look, this was a gift from God. You didn't do anything to earn it. You and I were in no way worthy of this. We didn't do anything to earn our rescue and our salvation. God did all the heavy lifting. And that's why in verse 10 he says, look, who we are now and what we are becoming now, that is God's handiwork, and it's not your handiwork. Have y'all ever met somebody who kind of confuses the two and thinks, you know, <laughs> I'm doing pretty good, you know? Look, look at who I've made myself to be spiritually. According to the gospel, that's not the truth. We really are God's handiwork. We, I mean, in every one of our lives, we could have a God at work sign, because that, that's what this is. And that's what Paul wants us to understand when it comes um, to grace, and then what Paul does here is he pulls both of these points together very quickly just to make sure we didn't miss anything he said in verses 12 and 13, and he summarizes, okay? Point one and point two, and he says, you were separate from Christ. 
excluded from citizenship in Israel, the people of God. You were foreigners to the covenants of the promise, meaning every promise in the word of God. You were without hope and without God in this world. It's pretty clear, isn't it? All right? But now in Christ, you who were once far away, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's just such a, such a beautiful moment in this chapter, just a burning moment. There we were, hopelessly lost, but Jesus rescued us. And the blood of Christ is important here. He did this by dying on the cross in our place. It was his blood that was shed. It wasn't our blood. And that's the first thing and the, the, the sin and the grace right there in a nutshell. And so what that means is for us is that Jesus is our grace, right? Jesus literally is the grace of God for us. Jesus is the one who brings shalom. Jesus is our peace. And I'm not saying that because I'm connecting theological dots or, hey, you know, one plus two seems to be three. Um, Paul actually says that for us here. In Ephesians 2, 14 through 18, he starts off saying this, he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace. And that's why when you look around the world at every peace treaty that gets made and all these efforts for peace and you look at the actions of, you know, even people like Greenpeace or World Peace, if that's an organization, they never quite get it, right? Because peace is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone is the Prince of Peace and he is our peace. And then Paul kind of subtly slides back to this issue of relationships, okay? Listen to what he says here. As we read on in 14 through 18, he, he has made the two groups, Jews and Gentiles, meaning the chosen people of God and those outcast kind of Gentiles, people who are on the inside, people on the outside, people, by the way, who oppose each other throughout Scripture. He has made the two groups... One, he, Jesus, has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And that's the wall of hostility between one another and God. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, making peace and in his body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And so what Paul is saying to us, is he's saying, look, Jesus literally became our peace, right? He is our peace now. And now that we are at peace spiritually, and I know we all have days where we don't feel very peaceful or seasons where it feels kind of wild, but spiritually, we are at peace. Spiritually, peace is being worked out in us. So now, now that peace is at work, and we do have peace inside of us, what Paul is saying is every other relationship in our lives has the possibility to become whole and complete. And even as I wrote that this week, I thought, man, that sounds radical in today's world. But that is the message of the gospel that relationships in our lives that are fractured, even with ourselves. The promises, they, they can be made whole. Now that God has forgiven every sin in our lives, when we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
Uh, Now that we have experienced God's grace and God's peace, now that we have a whole relationship with God, the call is we are actually to go after whole relationships with other people. That's part of the calling of a Christian. By the way, uh, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2.7. I love this. He says, God raised and exalted us with Christ for a purpose so that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Do you hear what Paul is saying there? He's saying peace, grace, forgiveness happen to us for a reason, and the reason is that in the future we might live that out. We've tasted forgiveness. We've tasted God's grace and his peace, and we are to show it to other people. We're to actually extend that. We are to turn with the grace, the peace, the forgiveness we've been given as Christians, not just keep that between us and God, and, and we, we are to live that out. We are to walk that out. We, we are to extend that. That's why Jesus calls us peacemakers. We literally are to go and to, and to make peace with others whenever we can. Turn to them and extend what God has given us. By the way, if you're wondering, that's one of the reasons why we need the fruit of the Spirit. Um, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, you know, keep going down the list. One of the reasons we need this is because sometimes moving toward people with peace and forgiveness and grace, sometimes that's not very easy, is it? Have you ever tried to do that with someone before and it's, you know, the stone wall or, hey, get out of my face? You, we need the character and the heart and the, you know, the, the traits of God in our lives to be able to do that. Sometimes people don't make reconciliation very easy. Sometimes people don't even make it possible. You know, there are situations in our lives where you move towards someone humbly with God's forgiveness, God's peace, and and God's grace, and they say, no way. Let me just tell you, in that situation, that's not up to you how they receive it and what they do with it. Our job is just to go forward in the name of Jesus with love, Sometimes it doesn't happen, but we are called to make peace. And by the way, let's, let's just uh, keep it real. Sometimes we don't make grace, peace, and forgiveness easy, do we? Sometimes we don't receive it. You know, on that receiving end, we don't make it that easy. But again, if Paul has told us anything about salvation, about forgiveness, it is that it is a gift. He's told us that the whole thing is a gift. It's not based on what we've done or haven't done. It isn't based on what they've done or what they haven't done. God's grace, God's peace, and God's forgiveness is based on who he is. And it's based on what he's done for us. And again, that's why whether they accept it or reject it, that's between them and the Lord. Our job is to be people of peace to live out Advent and and the the good news of Jesus Christ, all right? Um, One other thought as I wrap this up, I just wanted to throw this in. I think it's related, but I'm not quite sure. So, But I just want to say this. Aren't we so incredibly blessed to live on this side of history when you think about all of this? I mean, isn't it incredible that, that we live after the time that Jesus came? Before Jesus came, there, there was some, you know, some, some definite guidance in Scripture, and there were definite thoughts, and some of them were very biblical about who would be and what, he, what he's done. But we know. I mean, we are recipients. And I was just 
just thinking about how incredible it is that we have all this knowledge of Jesus Christ, and we have all this access to Christ. And as I was, uh, the other day, I was looking at our nativity scene, and we've got about 20 of them, I think. Um, But I was looking at one of them, the one I like the best, and I was just thinking about how incredible it must have been for the shepherds to come racing out of the darkness into the light and the peace of Jesus Christ. I mean, how incredible it must have been just to run up on, on him, and there he is, the Son of God and the Prince of Peace. And I know for me, I know for me, I believe we need that same experience in our lives of just a real fresh experience of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, ruling in our lives. Because, you know, outside of Jesus Christ, we would never have come in to a relationship of peace with God. We never would have known God. We wouldn't love him. We wouldn't be in relationship at all with him apart from Christ. Truthfully, as we talk about reconciliation and relationships in our lives, apart from Christ, we would never be able to forgive people out there who have done things to us. I mean, there's some stories we got in the room. I got a few myself. There's just no way I could forgive them for what they've done apart from Jesus Christ. That all changes with Jesus. And truthfully, apart from Christ, we would never be able to forgive ourselves for a lifetime of sin before Jesus and even a lot of stumbles along the way afterwards. So hallelujah, what a beautiful thing. Jesus Christ, God's gracious gift. He was born, he lived, he died, he rose again, and we get to experience God's peace. We get to grow more and more into wholeness, completeness, well-being, and by stepping into this role of making peace and loving people in their unloveliness, we get to bring the peace of God to people who desperately need it. So let me end this sermon with one more more verse, uh, just straight from the lips of Jesus to us today. John 13, 33. Jesus says, I have told you all these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let me pray for us. Oh, Jesus, how good you are, how great you are. And I love, I love so much that when we dig into your word, we always discover that the treasure is so much more than we understood at a glance. And so we just invite you. We just invite you to continue to speak your word to our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit, we, we welcome you. We just in, invite you to minister the peace of God into places that are darkened, damaged within us. We thank you that that in you we have life and life to the full. So we thank you for being our Messiah, our Savior, for bringing the hope, the peace, the joy, the love of God into our lives. Have your way this Christmas season with all of us and the years beyond. In Jesus' name, amen.